Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Thank you, Lou. Hey, it is good to see all of you here today. Welcome. Uh, It was, gee, about a month ago uh, after the second service, uh, I went uh, to meet Lori, and uh, we ended up having to go to the emergency room. And from the emergency room, uh, we took a life flight to uh, Seattle, and uh, life suddenly changed for us. Uh, but here it is a month later, and we're back. And we saw during that month God work just in powerful ways, um, not the least of which is through your prayers and through your expressions of love to us. And so we are so grateful um, to be here with you. But we wanted to thank you for uh, your prayers and your support through what was a, a pretty challenging time for us. Uh, Lori, if you want to come up. Yeah. And uh, just share a little bit for the congregation. Yeah. First of all, I want to say that um, thank you so much for your prayers. Um, more than anything, your prayers uh, girded me up and gave me um, strength in knowing that you were in my pocket. You were there with me. Um, you know, it's funny, when you go to the hospital, they ask you, do you have a religious preference or whatever? And I said, yes, my pastor's with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, it was good to have him there, but um, knowing that I had people throughout this congregation praying for me and girding me up uh, was more than I can really express in eloquent words. It's more of a feeling of assuredness that God has got um, this congregation and us um, set for his purpose. And um, I'm really good. I I feel great. Uh, I have an aneurysm. But it's in a place where if you're going to have an aneurysm, it's the best possible place to have it in your head. It's not in my brain. It's in my head. And I don't have to do anything to it. I just have to live my life. 
And um, I just want to say thank you for all of the kind prayers and cards and kind gestures of sharing um, of your of your um, concerns to Todd and I. Um, we enjoyed um, the fellowship of knowing that you cared, and that was the most important thing to us. And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, and speaking for both me and Todd. Um, I think that it gave me a better perspective about what God has got involved in my life and what he has got planned for me. Because um, he's not done with me yet, and uh, we're not going anywhere. So me, Todd, and my aneurysm, we're here for the long haul. <laughs> uh, thanks, honey. Uh. Yeah, as Lori said, um, they decided to leave the aneurysm alone and uh, just check it regularly. And as long as it doesn't change, if it stays what they call stable, then they're going to leave it be. And so uh, it's just a regular checkup and just checking on it. Uh, if something were to change, then we'd have to go back to Seattle and they'd have to do something invasive. But for right now, they're just going to leave it. And uh, all the symptoms and other things that were associated with it that day, they're all under control, and they're watching her. And so, um, yeah, we are very, very fortunate. Uh, I, I do want to say just a few things along that uh, before I move on to the, the passage today. Um, there were a few things that, for me, um, really gave me strength. Uh, the first thing um, is... Uh, your prayers. Uh, from the moment that uh, I got on with Lori, that, that the jet, the Learjet to fly uh, to Seattle. By the way, there was no champagne service on that Learjet. Uh, <laughs> um, Lori had a cocktail or two, but it was, uh, yeah, not the kind you'd like to have. Um, but uh, from the moment I got on there, I looked on my phone, and already there were many of you that were texting me and letting me know that you were praying for us. I can't tell you um, just how much that meant. And just knowing that you were praying and just gave me a, a sense of, of peace and strength. Um, and I want to say this about prayer. And it's funny, as I was sitting in the hospital room that first night when they were still trying to figure out what they were going to do with Lori, uh, and I was just sitting there quietly praying and um, I thought about church, and I thought about the prayer corner uh, back there where, where, where Ken is. Is that Ken back there? Ken, yeah, raise your hand. There you go, Ken. And I thought how every Sunday we have people in the prayer corner that are available to you to pray with you or to pray for you or to pray for someone else or whatever you're concerned about. And, of course, here at Community Covenant Church, we believe in pervasive prayer. Oh, that's a bedrock. That's a foundation of who we are and what we're about. Um, prayer changes things. Uh, it changes us. It, it, it changes people we care about. It changes the world. And uh, so we have the prayer corner. And uh, anytime during the service, you're invited to go back there to be prayed for. But here's the thought I had uh, as I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, you know, we all have things that we need prayer for. Uh, maybe it's not a crisis like we had in the moment, but 
Maybe there are other things that, that you keep in your heart that you are struggling with, challenges, trials, adversities. For you, a loved one, someone you care about. And you sit here in church every Sunday and you, you hold that. You hold that in your heart. And I thought about it as I was sitting there in the hospital. I said, why would anyone want to just hold that on their own? Um, knowing that people are praying for you and having people to pray for you, um, it, it changes everything. Uh, it, it is something that um, is God working in your life. And, and so what I was thinking was, why is it that every Sunday, you know, we, we, we provide that opportunity, but very few people go back there. You know, my thinking is that, that we all ought to go back there, right? And we ought to go frequently. And we ought not worry or be concerned about what people think or, oh, hey, they're going back to the prayer corner. What's going on? You know, that kind of thing. Just go and be prayed for. Take advantage of that. Um, I know for me that, that your prayers made all the difference. And uh, knowing that you could be prayed for every Sunday, you know, whether it's during a song or during the, the, the message, whenever. Just go back and get prayer, will you? Um, don't carry that burden alone. Uh, so I, I thought about that. So prayer. The second thing is uh, your testimonies. You know, as your pastor, I've been able to walk with many of you through challenging times in your lives. And that's my privilege to do that. But it's different when you're on the other end of that. And uh, your testimony, having walked with you and having seen your faith during your challenges, during adversities that you have faced, that strengthened me. Uh, I was reminded many times of, of, of several of you and uh, how the Lord has worked in your life during hard times. And uh, it reminded me that 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 God was available and he'd do the same thing for me too. And so I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your testimonies because I drew strength from that. I know Lori did as well. Uh, so your prayers and your testimony really was powerful during that time. Uh, the final thing um, is just uh, the faith that we walk in. You know, the, the Bible says that uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. And uh, the Lord... He's got things. Uh, he's at work in ways that are unseen. Uh, we can only see what's in front of us and what's around us. We can only see what we're experiencing in the moment. But you know what? Uh, God is all around us, and God is working. And it's belief in that that really anchors us and, and gives us a foundation upon which to live, uh, especially in times of uncertainty. Because, you know, life is uncertain, but God is not. God is a certain and sure thing. The scripture tells us in Hebrews that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that we can count on him, we can go to him, we can trust him. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we can't see, even when we don't know the outcome. That's true. But during times in your life when you have challenges or adversity, it goes from being something that's a statement of faith, something you say you believe, to something that you really believe and that you live into. Uh, and, and that's very real. And it's very powerful. And it's very comforting. And, and so the third thing I want to say is um, 
just the ways in which our faith, your faith, um, the faith that we celebrate and we testify to every Sunday, the way that that became very real uh, during our situation. Um, you know, I don't know how people live without that. I truly don't. Um, and I remember uh, on the airplane, we had to stop in Juneau on the way to Seattle. Um, they had to change the flight crew because they had already flown their hours. Uh, and so the flight crew was changing. They were putting fuel in the airplane, and I went to get off the plane, and Lori was kind of laying there, kind of semi-awake, not really with it too much. And uh, as I got off the airplane, I went by her, and I just kind of bent down and kissed her on the forehead, and I said, it's going to be okay, right? I didn't expect her to answer. But her eyes kind of opened up, and she looked at me, and she said this. She said, I'm in God's hands now, right? It's like, wow. And you know, it wasn't, I'm in God's hands now. Everything's going to turn out okay. That's how I meant it, because that's what I was hoping and praying for. But with Lori, it wasn't like that. It was, I'm in God's hands now, regardless of what happens. It doesn't matter how it's going to turn out. No matter what happens, I'm in God's hands. That's how she meant it. You know, that's a powerful thing to know. And that's a powerful reminder for all of us. Believe me, when we left the hospital, uh, the medical team told us, they said, you know what? You need to know something. We rarely see someone come to this hospital in the condition that your wife was in that walks out of here. We rarely see that. In fact, they said, we'd like you to walk by the medical station so the staff can all see you walk out of here because it'll give them um, encouragement because they don't get to see that very often. So we're very aware that our outcome is the exception, not the rule, okay? We know that. But I have to tell you this. Um, God is good and God is faithful even if that had not been the outcome. It wouldn't have changed who God is. It wouldn't have changed the fact that He loves us, He cares for us, and He walks through all of life with us, whether or not it turns out the way we hope it will, okay? And you need to know that. Um, God is dependable, but that's just not outcome-based, all right? So those three things, I think, were really important for us. And they, they really anchored us as we went through um, those uncertain times. And we're grateful for you. We're grateful for what we've learned and what God taught us and what God reminded us of over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the backdrop of our passage today. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses, or uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and, and here's what's going on. In this particular church, 
there were those who prided themselves on several things. Now, in Greek culture, wisdom was highly esteemed. But not wisdom from God, the wisdom that comes from man. And you know from history that in ancient Greece, that's where many of the great philosophers came from. Um, philosophers that informed the development of Western civilization and the Western culture that we live in today that has their origins in ancient Greece. And Greece, as a culture, prided themselves on human wisdom. Uh, to be wise was considered a, a virtue. Okay? And so in this church in Corinth, there are these believers, these new believers who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, those who had formerly been Jews and those who had formerly been Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, pagans, who had come to faith in Christ. And, and they, com- they comprised this new church, this, this new group of believers. But they brought a lot of their baggage with them. And part of that baggage is that they, they prided themselves on their wisdom. And they took and they applied the human wisdom that they had to the religious teachings that were forming their new faith in Christ, and they began to take credit and point to teachers and others who were considered wise people, and that wisdom as it pertained to the exercise of their new Christian faith. But the problem is this, it was human wisdom, not godly wisdom, that they were priding themselves in. And then they would do what what we do in Christian culture today, They would point out teachers that were especially gifted, teachers that were eloquent, teachers that um, uh, were persuasive, Uh, a lot like we do with uh, television preachers or preachers on the radio or authors that we read in in the Christian world that we're in. You know, we say, oh man, I, uh, I am a student of John Maxwell, or I like Andy Stanley, right? Uh, or I like, and you fill in the person's name. And you say, man, I read all his books, or I went to his seminar. I sit under his teaching on the radio. He's so gifted, and we start to brag about the teacher that we sit under, right? Well, they were doing the same thing. And they were identifying specific teachers, and they were taking pride that they were their student. And they're saying, well, you know, I'm a student of Apollos, or I'm a a student of Peter, or I'm a student of, and they'd fill in the blank. And they would brag about their pedigree as a student of this famous Bible teacher. Today, like then, we're attracted to Christian celebrities, aren't we? And they were doing the same thing. And so they were priding themselves on their wisdom. They were priding themselves on their pedigree. In other words, who it was that they had come to faith under, whose teaching that they sat under. That was a big deal in Greek culture, right? The person that taught you. That's big, huge. And so they were priding themselves on that. And then the third thing they were priding themselves on was their gifts. They had spiritual gifts that were given them by the Holy Spirit. But rather than recognizing them as gifts of the Spirit to be used for the benefit of others in the church... They were taking those gifts and they were saying, look at me. Look at how gifted I am. I'm super spiritual. I'm super spiritual. I'm gifted. I'm really wise. And not only that, I sat under the best teacher. How about you? 
So that's what was going on in the church. Okay? And Paul wants to address that. He wants to address it and he wants to remind them, no, 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 no. You shouldn't pride yourself on human wisdom. You should pride yourself on wisdom that comes from God. And secondly, you you shouldn't pride yourself on who your teacher is. Instead, you should give credit to God and recognize that it is the Holy Spirit who's at work in you, who's active in teaching you, and in fact, who is gifting you for ministry. And so, he wants to set an example for them in his own life. And he wants to say, the, the way to walk as a follower of Christ is not in pride. It's not in celebrating human wisdom. It's not in announcing your pedigree, who your teachers are, right? Or what gifts you have. Instead, it is in humility and in weakness stepping aside and allowing the power of God to be made manifest in you through the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, no human being gets the credit. God gets the credit. And that's the way it should be. Now what's unusual about this is that of all the people that Paul is writing to, he, most of all, could have bragged about his pedigree. Uh, in, in the Jewish world, he'd accomplished great things. He had risen to fame and, and, and great position of authority and power in Jewish religious culture. Not only that, he had sat under the best teacher that you could sit under in Judaism. And he had learned from that teacher. And so it would be like saying, I have a Harvard PhD, Right? I sat under this teacher, and you all know he's the best. So he could have taken pride in who his teacher was. He could have taken pride in his accomplishments and his gifting. He could have taken pride in a lot of things. But instead, as we move into chapter 2, the verses 1 through 5, this is what he says. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I decided to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear. All right? In Greek culture, weakness was not considered a virtue. Boasting about wisdom, boasting about your strength, boasting about your education, boasting about your accomplishment, about your pedigree, all those things were the custom in Greek culture. Now, Paul, who could have done all of those things, didn't. He says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, if he's comparing himself to the popular teachers of the day, he's saying, I'm not eloquent, I'm not wise. I'm not persuasive. And I didn't come to you that way. So now what he's doing is he's comparing himself. It's a juxtaposition to the celebrated Christian teachers in Corinth. The the ones that people are bragging about. And he goes on to say this. He says, not only was my message 
not wise with persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So in other words, this is what he's saying. I didn't come in strength, I came in weakness. All of the human accolades, all of the things that, that, would, that you would celebrate about me, I've put aside. And I've done that so that in my weakness, in my humility, God's power could be put on display. So that as God works in and through me, there's no mistake about where it's coming from. I can't take credit for it. That's what he's saying. And he's also saying, in other words, I can't and you shouldn't either. It should be about God and not us. That's the point he's making. Now, in a verse in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he said this to them. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so he's identifying two types of people. He's saying there are those people who look at the cross, who look at the message of the gospel, Christ and Christ crucified, and they say, well, that's foolishness. That doesn't make sense in the mind and the wisdom of man. But to those who are being saved, for those who believe that message, for those who receive that truth, for those who recognize what God accomplished through His Son on the cross, that He died for their sin, that they could have forgiveness of sin, renewed relationship with God, a new life and the promise of eternal life, a life through which the power of God is resonant and active, for those people, the cross isn't foolishness. It is, frankly, the power of God at work. Okay? And he's, and he's comparing the two here. And he's saying, you know, it doesn't make sense in human wisdom. But you can't compare the wisdom of man to the wisdom of God. There's no comparison. Right? God's wisdom is superior. And the cross is an expression of the wisdom and the power of God. And it invites us to come to God in faith and to receive what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. So that's what he's saying. You can't approach the cross. You can't come to faith with a wisdom that comes from man. God's wisdom far exceeds that. God is greater than that. Now, what does this mean for you and me? How does this get back to a, a Learjet flight, a medevac to Seattle a month ago? Here's where we need to get real. And that's the title of the message. In our book, we're in chapter 9. The New Habit of Being Real. Okay? And this is what he's talking about in, in this chapter, our author, Jim Henderson. Those of you that are following along in the book. There are those of you here 
and you're here this morning, and you think that you're not qualified to be used by God. You think that somehow your weakness, your inability, your lack of pedigree, the fact that you're not eloquent in speech, in fact that you're not persuasive when it comes to things of the gospel, that somehow you're disqualified or you can't be used by God. And you begin to compare yourself to other people. And whenever we compare ourselves to others in this way, we always come out on the short end of the stick, don't we? And so you may compare yourself to um, uh, a preacher or a teacher that you admire. Or you compare yourself to a, a woman or a man in Bible study that you sit next to each week that just seems to know the Scripture, be very wise, and be able to communicate biblical truths with no problem. And you say, I can't do that. Or you look at your life and say, you know, I don't have any formal education or, tre- or, or, or training in the Bible. Or you might look at yourself and say, you know what, my personality is such, I, I'm, not a, I'm not an extrovert. I don't like to share. I don't like to, I'm, I'm a pretty quiet, reserved person. God couldn't use me, right? Or you go on and on and on and you start comparing yourself and you start to disqualify yourself from being used by God. But what God wants you to be is who you are. Who He created you to be. He wants you to be that person, sanctified, set apart, empowered by the Holy Spirit, for His use in bringing others to faith in Christ. But you get to do that by being who you are, not who you aren't. By using the gifts you have, not the gifts you don't have. Not by comparing yourself to somebody else but being available to God. And if you think today, sitting here, well, I am weak. God can't possibly use me. What the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5 through is, no, 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 don't think that. On the contrary, you're exactly the person that God wants to use. Because when God uses you, there's no mistaking it. It's His power at work in you that demonstrates who He is. Through which He gets the honor and He gets the glory. Do you see that? And so it's in our our weakness. It's, It's in the parts of ourselves that others dismiss and say that are foolish. That God wants to work so that He can be magnified so that He can get the glory, so that people can see the reality of the risen Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And when they see that, they're drawn to Him. Okay? So it's not those of us that are here this morning that could claim great pedigree or education or or great training or, or great gifting or great ability Frankly, if that's you, those things can really get in the way of God at work in your life. Right? And if you're gifted and blessed in that way, wow, you need to pray to the Lord that you can get out of His way and that He can use those things as He intended. But for those of you that are sitting here that are saying, man, I am just a weak, empty vessel. I don't think I have anything to offer to God let me tell you, you're just the person that He's looking to work through. Don't disqualify yourself. Because it's when 
Life gets real. It's when we face adversities and trials and hardship. It's when we're living daily life visible to other people around us. It's in the reality of life that the reality of Christ is never more real. And people see that. And that becomes a witness. That becomes a testimony. That becomes a source of hope. That becomes a source of invitation that draws others to the only one who can provide ultimately what they need and what they're looking for. And I was reminded through our situation many, many times, you know what? It didn't matter how many letters I had after my name. It didn't matter about any wisdom I could boast about. It didn't matter about any accomplishment or anything I could claim for myself. You know what? When your loved one is in a hospital bed and in the moment you don't know whether they're going to live or they're going to die, none of that matters. Because that isn't what's going to save her. What matters is the reality of the resurrected Christ who's present in your life, who in the midst of confusion can bring certainty and assurance, who can bring peace and hope. Not just that things turn out the way you want them to, but no matter how things turn out, as Lori said, I'm in God's hands now. No matter the outcome, I'm going to be okay. I'm telling you that that kind of assurance, that kind of faith, that kind of hope, that kind of confidence, that, that, that trust that you can place in someone greater than yourself, whose wisdom far exceeds your, whose understanding far exceeds your own, you can't buy that. You can't go to school and get a degree in that. That comes one way. That's through the reality of Jesus Christ in your life. In the work of the Holy Spirit. In the strength that comes from that and the body of Christ around you. That's what really matters when life slaps you in the face. The other stuff doesn't mean much of anything. And so what Paul is telling the Corinthians, it's in my weakness. It's not in the things that I'm good at, it's the things I'm not good at. It's not in the things that people celebrate. It's the things that people overlook. Those are the places where God can be put on display in a powerful way and in a way that others are drawn to Him. That's what He's saying to the Corinthians. He goes on to say in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4-8, through eight, these words. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in themselves in the flesh, I have more. 
I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was found faultless. But check this out. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. This is what he's saying. I gladly put all the worldly things I've accomplished, all the accolades aside so that I can cling to the hope and the knowledge of the reality of the risen Savior in my life. And that I don't want the worldly, earthly things to get in the way. Not that I would be glorified, but that Christ in me would be glorified. That's what he's saying. I love what Max Lucado says in his quote about the cross. He says, it rests on on a timeline of history like a compelling diamond. Its tragedy summons all sufferers. Its absurdity attracts all cynics. Its hope lures all searchers. History has idolized and despised it, gold-plated it and burned it, worn it and trashed it. History has done everything but ignore it. How could you ignore such a piece of lumber, speaking of the cross. Suspended on its beams is the greatest claim in history, a crucified carpenter claiming to be God on earth, divine and internal, eternal. The death slayer. Never has timber been regarded so sacred. No wonder the Apostle Paul called the cross event the core of the gospel. Its bottom line, it's sobering. If the account is true, it is history's hinge. Everything hinges on the cross. Period. If not, the cross is history's hoax. But then here's the question he asks. Which is the cross for you? Hinge or hoax? Hinge or hoax. It is the single thing that all of our hope hinges on. Hope even in the face of uncertain circumstances. Because we're in God's hands now. You know, one of the things that uh, the Corinthians who detracted from Paul and his teachings, one of, the, one of the claims they made was this. If Paul were truly an apostle, if he was truly a person that was gifted by God to be a teacher and a leader, then difficult things wouldn't happen to him then his life would be full of blessing and good things and and there wouldn't be any hardship. In fact, they pointed to the hardship that Paul had as a 
apostle of Jesus. And they said, you see that hardship? That's proof that he's not a true apostle. Look at our lives, they said. There's no hardship. We have it all together. That's proof that we're the true apostles. You've heard that line of reasoning, haven't you? You've heard people say that if you're a follower of Jesus, then your life should be full of health, wealth, and prosperity. Everything should always be good. You turn on the radio or watch TV, you'll hear that kind of teaching. And that's what these false teachers, or these, quote, super apostles in Corinth, that's what they were saying. And that's what they were saying about Paul. The fact that he's gone through hardship and difficulty. He can't possibly be God's man. Right? But don't let that argument persuade you. Listen to what Paul says. He points to the opposite. He says, it is in fact that I have gone through difficulties that demonstrate I am God's man. That I am His apostle. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21-30, through 30, he says this. He says, whatever anyone dares to boast about, and he says, man, I am speaking like a fool. Why am I talking like this? He says, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And he goes on to say, man, I must be out of my mind to talk like this. He says, I am a servant more. Now check this out. Here's his qualifications. Here's his resume. I have worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That equals 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea and have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, dangers from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, Dangers from false believers. Dangers from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the country. Danger in the sea. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure and my concern for all of the churches. God help Him. Who is weak that I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin that I do not inwardly burn? Now check this out. Are you ready? If I must boast, I will boast on things that show my weakness. Why would he say that? He said, let's get real. Let's be honest about our weaknesses. Let's not be afraid to get up and go be prayed for at the cross and wonder what people think. Who cares? You see, it's in the reality of life. It's in our humanness. It's in our brokenness. It's in our weakness. It's in the things that we think disqualify us. It's in the things that people discount us for. It's in those things that Christ's power is made manifest and put on display so that no one gets the credit But God gets the glory. That's what He's saying. Let's get real. 
And let's meet God in those real places. And let that be our testimony. Let that be our proclamation and our demonstration of the reality of our risen Savior. And that, my friends, will draw people to Him. Just being who you are. And letting God be who He is in you. I told someone recently, my prayer for this church isn't that we're a church of the people who have it all together. The church of people with pedigree. The people with personal accomplishment. The people who are wise according to human wisdom. I don't want this to be a church of the beautiful people. I pray that our church is a church of the broken people who have a beautiful God. Who's at work transforming our lives and as a result, drawing others to that same transforming power and work in their lives. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10. He's recounting the words of Jesus who came to him. This is what Jesus said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul writes this in response. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? Let's get real. Let's get real. And let's let the power of God be put on display in and through our weakness.